And now our third Bible reading this evening, which is from 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verses 35 to 49. The heading in the NIV is the resurrection body. But someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body will they come? How foolish. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. When you sow, you do not plant the body that will be, but just a seed, perhaps of wheat or of something else. But God gives it a body as he has determined, and to each kind of seed he gives its own body. All flesh is not the same. People have one kind of flesh, animals have another, birds another, and fish another. There are also heavenly bodies, and there are earthly bodies. But the splendor of the heavenly bodies is one kind, and the splendor of the earthly bodies is another. The sun has one kind of splendor, the moon another, and the stars another, and the stars differ from star in splendor. (coughs) So will it be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown is perishable. It is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonour. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. So it is written, The first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam, a life-giving spirit. The spiritual did not come first, but the natural, and after that the spiritual. The first man was of the dust of the earth, the second man from heaven. As was the earthly man, so are those who are of the earth. And as is the man from heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. And just as we have borne the likeness of the earthly man, so shall we bear the image of the man from heaven. Thanks be to God for his word. Amen. In my first church there was an elderly man from Germany and you would ask him every week, how are you? And he would say, I suffer from an incurable disease, old age. Don't get old. It's inevitable, isn't it? We all have to get old. The alternative is not quite so palatable as the process of getting old. Daily Telegraph readers will know that on New Year's Day this year, the paper ran an article on old age, and they asked over 2,000 people when they thought old age began. The average answer, apparently, is that we get old at the age of 59 years, two months, and two days. But it's all relative. Younger people said that old age started at 46. Those who got past 46 and reached 50 and beyond that said, well, 62 and a half. For men on average, old age starts at about 58, whereas women, for some reason, their statistics are much more specific. Old age starts at 60 years, four months and two weeks. People who live in council houses 
tend to say that old age begins five years earlier than people who own their own property. But I guess we've all got to take our hats off to Daphne Bernard from Eastbourne, who celebrated a 90th birthday by doing a 12,000-foot skydive, and who still plays badminton and visits the gym once a week. Maybe they're right, maybe you are as old as you feel. I'm reminded of an attitude of a family friend who, when she turned 70, said, I can do what I like now. I've had my allotted span, everything else is a bonus, I can live dangerously because I have nothing to lose. Great attitude to have. But clearly people like Daphne Bernarda are the exception rather than the rule, because if you are aged over 85, the odds are that you will be suffering from between three and six long-term health complaints. And if you land up in hospital because of one or more of these, you will stay in hospital four or five times longer than a younger person will. This is the problem the National Health Service is grappling with these days. (coughs) Our health is not keeping up with our age. In the 1990s, life expectancy rose by 4.6%. But a third of those additional years that we have, we will not enjoy because they will be spent in poor health. We're living longer, but we're not living better because of that. You would all know that on Monday of this week, Margaret Thatcher died. A lady who almost single-handedly shaped and moulded this country in the 1980s, and opinions are polarised over whether that was for the better or for the worse. She had immense strength of character and determination. And yet even such a great person as Margaret Thatcher was left diminished by old age. A series of strokes left her frail. She was suffering from a degree of dementia and short-term memory loss. Old age shows no mercy even to the greatest and most robust of us. George Appleton was spot on when he said, many people as they grow older fear the coming of old age. They regret the failing of physical and mental powers, the withdrawal from active life, posts of leadership, and the satisfaction of being used creatively. Then he also went on to say, these these increasing diminishments can be seen as a hollowing out of the material and the temporal, in order to be ready to be filled with the spiritual and the eternal. I guess what he's trying to do is is to draw on the Christian hope of life after death and use this as a way of enabling people to come to a point of acceptance about the inevitable process of ageing and all that that entails. Yes, there is an inevitable deterioration as we get older, but he says, look at this as a letting go of the powers of this life so that you will be ready to receive the transforming resurrection power of the next. Allow the hollowing out and emptying that takes place as we get older, see that as a hollowing out so we can be the more filled with the presence of God and be restored in resurrection power. That is the Christian hope. 
The problem, of course, is that even for for those who are believers and, and pin their hopes firmly on the life to come, it still takes a long time coming for some. So many people reach a point in life where they say, I've had enough. Why doesn't he take me? I would like nothing better than just to go to sleep tonight and wake up with Jesus. Why is he keeping me waiting? And you never get an answer for it. To what good purpose are people still alive, we ask? It's okay when when you're in the third age and you can keep active and you maintain contact with your friends and you do something to make sure each day is worthwhile. These are ways of, of helping to keep us young and healthy. All these techniques are proven ways of ensuring that there can be positive dimensions to growing old. But when you get beyond that, where you lose the strength and the independence and the ability to, to go out and make something of each day, and you just feel like you're waiting to die, that's an awful place to find yourself in. Not least because we all know how time drags when you're waiting for something that isn't coming. And when that happens over a period of not days, but weeks and months, sometimes longer, it's hard. You can look back on a life well lived, you can look forward to the prospect of, of being with Christ in glory, but today, those hours of today, they must be really hard to cope with. Sometimes, perhaps, just breathing can be a kind of prayer. Breathing in the Spirit of Christ, His presence, His calmness, His patience, His love. Breathing out the pain, the frustration, the anger, the regrets, the impatience. Breathing in the Spirit of Christ, breathing out the rubbish that fills our hearts and our lives. When these mortal bodies come to an end, we will be sin-free. What is it you said to me, John Bolton says, if you ask him how he is, nothing wrong with me that death won't cure. Yeah. It's a challenge not to let sin wrest control of our hearts from us in the final stages of the battle. John the Baptist said of Jesus, he must increase and I must decrease. And growing older is part of that happening. The challenge is to make sure that as we decrease, he increases in us and fills the gap. Easy to say, phenomenally difficult to do, but it should be our aim. We don't know how old St Paul was when he wrote 1 Corinthians, but as he contrasts these mortal bodies with resurrection bodies to come, he seems well acquainted enough with some of the difficulties of old age. He talks about these bodies being like seeds that are planted in the ground to die, from which come amazing plants and trees that totally surpass the original seed in stature and splendour. That's what resurrection will be like, he says. This body that is sown is perishable. It will be raised imperishable. 
The Greek word he uses for perishable often translates two Hebrew words that each offer a slightly different perspective on what it means to be perishable. One conveys the sense of, of damage or destruction. And that can aptly summarise the experience of decreasing capacity, increasing weakness, the sense of exhaustion and stagnation that accompany the process of growing older. Perishable. It's an apt word to use. You think of fruit going off as it gets older. Think of us struggling as we get older. But the other, the other Hebrew word that it translates sometimes is used in contexts of vanity, emptiness, fruitlessness. As when the servant of the Lord says in Isaiah 49, I've laboured in vain and spent my strength for nothing and vanity. And there's often that sense of, of futility that comes with advanced years as well. What have I achieved with my life? Or maybe, you know, I've lived such a worthwhile and full life up until now, but what am I doing now? What, what point or purpose is there in my continuing existence where I can't do anything anymore? That sense of waste, having no point or purpose, of everything being futile, is all wrapped up in what it means for us to be perishable. These bodies that we inhabit are perishable. Not just a physical deterioration, it's also the sense that life itself can become less meaningful. Anthony Thistleton has written a massive 1,400-page commentary on 1 Corinthians, and I draw a lot on what he says in this sermon. He argues cogently that the opposite of perishable, imperishable, has to be far more than just permanence. It has to be a reversal of what perishability is all about. It has to be the opposite of decay. So eternal life is more than just life that goes on and on and on and on and on forever. Because some people just dread the prospect of that kind of being stuck in a static existence for eternity. He says life after death is no bloodless, juiceless existence. If it's the opposite of, of the futility of perishing, it has to be full of fulfilment. So resurrection life has to be about a flourishing of life in all its fullness. Being imperishable will not like be being trapped in some timeless vacuum, but it will be about life with vitality beyond anything we've experienced here. Those of us who are older may look back with regret at paths not taken, opportunities missed, experiences not developed. Well, I guess the good news is that beyond this life, there will be an eternity to do all the things you wish you could have done, all those pathways you could have gone down, all those places you, you might have seen, all those missed opportunities are there for you to explore. There is no pressure then. There need be no regret. I never got around to doing that. If only I'd followed that path. If only I could have done that. Because you will have an eternity to do all of these things. Make no mistake. Eternal life is not going to be a church service that goes on forever and ever. That would be too much like the other place. 
If we know perishability here, imperishability is the opposite of that. The fullness of potential realised and an eternity to achieve that in. That's what we have to look forward to. And rather than looking back on your life and thinking, oh, I never got round to doing all these things, just think, I'll be able to do them all there and then and anticipate that with enjoyment and with pleasure. (coughs) Paul talks about our bodies being like seeds that are sown in humiliation but raised in splendour. And yeah, humiliation goes sometimes with advanced old age as well. That loss of independence, the ability to do the most basic things for yourself, where you need help to do things that you've always just done without thinking for the majority of your life. Or when you lose control of bodily functions, when you become as dependent on the care and kindness of others as you were when you were a baby. Yeah, humiliation sums that up well. It can feel degrading. And I don't want to mean to depress you about this, those of you who feel that stage, you know, not so very far over the horizon, or those of you who are looking after people who are really struggling with life. The point I'm trying to make is that it's there in Scripture. The Bible does spell it out. It is part of God's revelation. The difficulties that come with old age are laid out in Paul's choice of vocabulary in this passage about resurrection. It's not as if God hadn't thought about it or reflected upon the difficulties that we encounter as we get older. The difficulties are real enough. The fact that they are there reminds us that they are part of of what God knew about when he made us. It's part of Christ even identifying with us, because although he never lived to old age, he knew degradation and helplessness, and being imprisoned in his body on the cross, unable to do anything for himself at that point in time. And scripture invites us to look at this phase as a prelude to the final act, where these bodies are raised in glory, and in splendour. Because if we know humiliation now, we will know splendour then. And Thistleton talks about splendour like being radiant. The radiance of meeting a loved one again after a prolonged separation. Or the child excited on Christmas morning. Or the bride and bridegroom on their wedding day. A reunion of lovers. Or even meeting God face to face. Not just our faces, but our whole bodies, our whole being. Thrilled at the reality of resurrection life. With no clouds of sin, guilt or regret on the horizon. It will be glorious. Then he contrasts weakness and power. And we get weaker as our brain cells begin to die and they don't get replaced. Memories fade as we sleep less well. Physical strength increasingly deserts us. The things we used to do without thinking take time-consuming effort, frequently accompanied by pain and discomfort. I forget which comedian it was. There's old ages when you, you put your socks on, you think, well, what else shall I do while I'm down here? People generally reckon that your physical fitness peaks when you're in your late 20s, which is fairly early on, actually, isn't it? 
It's a long process of decline from that point onwards, which just gets rapider and steeper as the decades roll by. Weakness sums up all the ideas of frailty, fragility, vulnerability, and the constraints of mortal existence that sum up human life, but which Paul says will be replaced by power. Thistleton describes that as an energising crescendo of equipment and capacities for splendour and perhaps unimagined tasks and service yet to come. It is the powerlessness of old age replaced by the vitality, not of youth, but of resurrection. Imagine the wisdom of age and the enthusiasm of youth and the strength of maturing adulthood and the relationships and achievements of middle years, all that rolled into one and worth waiting for, worth pinning your hopes on worth running towards the finishing line to reach. The Lord said to Adam, after he and Eve at the apple, you are to dust and to dust you shall return, and we all share in that fallen mortality. But Christ, a second Adam, rose from the dead, having defeated the power of death, and as we trust in him, we will share the power of his risen life, because he is the one who brings us through the pain, through the powerlessness, through the degradation of death, into the fullness of resurrection life. He's blazed that trail for us. The tomb is empty. Our hearts are full of his presence. And he will transform our bodies so that they become like his glorious body for eternity. Let me leave you with some closing thoughts by Charles Kingsley. Christianity alone deprives old age of its bitterness, making it the gate of heaven. Our bodies will fade and grow weak and shapeless just when we will not want them, being ready and in close expectation of that resurrection of the flesh, which is the great promise of Christianity. No miserable fancies about pure souls escape from matter, but of bodies, our bodies, beautiful, Beloved, ministers to us in all our joys. Sufferers with us in all our sorrows. Yep, our own selves raised up again to live and love in a manner inconceivable from its perfection. Another body. New limbs are ready, free, pure, instinct with soul through every nerve, kept for us in the treasuries of God. Such is God's promise to us in Christ. A promise guaranteed to us through the death and resurrection of his own son. What more assurance could he give us? Trust him. Hold on through it all to the very end. The best best really is yet to be. God has promised through his son.